previously on the Sports Refuge podcast. There's no magic benchmark for basketball or football, right? I mean, we can't be like, oh, Antoine Jameson, he just needs to score 30 more points and then he'll have 20,000 for a career, and that pretty much will seal him getting in the Hall of Fame. It, it doesn't work like that. From Delaware, almost live, this is a Sports Refuge podcast. This is the weekly podcast featuring interviews with guests discussing their connection to sports. And now, here's your host, Earl Holland. Welcome back to the Sports Refuge, the show where guests share their connection with sports. I'm your host, Earl Holland. Cortez James began coaching in the high school and Pop Warner ranks in Berlin, Maryland, as a continuation for his love of football. That passion for helping young athletes evolved into the creation of his own recruiting service, Recruit University, which gives aspiring athletes the opportunity to play sports at the college level. In this episode, James discusses how his interest in coaching and putting players in the best position to succeed led to developing his recruiting program and how he applied that knowledge in his book of the same name. James will also share some advice for parents and student athletes when it comes to the recruiting process. And now, here's my interview with Cortez James. Cortez James, the founder and creator of Recruit University, the website, and an author who wrote several books. And I really appreciate you being on the show, Cortez. Thank you for taking time out. I know things are a little light, especially with the pandemic sort of putting things to a standstill, but I do appreciate it. Oh, man, thank you for having me on, man. It's a great honor for me to be on here. How did you get into coaching? I know I first met you. You were an assistant coach at Stephen Decatur High School in Berlin. How did you get the bug to uh, become a coach? Actually, youth football, Berlin Pop Warner. You know, I went out there and I was watching and I was just like, I got to get back out there and give back and teach what I know. And from there, man, I just started to learn more. I started going to camps. I started going to the clinics. And I just really wanted to help my community get to the next level, man. And that's that's really how I got started coaching. I just wanted to see our kids be able to go to states and go to other places and be able to compete at the next level. So that was a real, real strong desire for me. Still is. What were some of the growing pains when it came to coaching, especially learning the intricacies of coaching? I know sometimes after playing, the toughest thing to do is not being able to get out on that field and actually do and Mm -hmm. teaching others to do that. For me, the toughest thing for my coaching career, I started coaching at age 19. All right. So I was young. All right. So you had a lot of older coaches who didn't really see me as equal. I just saw me as a 19 year old kid, but I was hungry. So that was the difficult part was getting the approval of the other coaches and trying to have them see you as an equal, even though I was very young when I started, that was difficult, especially when I would go study, I would watch film, I would go to all these clinics and camps, I would bring back information and people didn't see the information. They saw me, a 19 year old kid trying to get the information. So that was difficult for me. That was probably the hardest thing. But um, once I got that out of the way and I started getting an opportunity to prove myself out there and showing what I could do, then the parents started vouching for me and they started seeing the results of what I was doing and they were all in after that. Did you feel like when you went to some of those recruiting camps and those things and trying to get all the information, did they say, well, this guy's really, really young. What is he doing here? No, the college coaches uh, were never like that. And a lot of the people that were teaching me, they were um, open. And not only the coaches, it was other youth coaches as well that we connected with. We just connected, collaborated, shared ideas with each other and started talking. And that's one thing I felt like growing up on Eastern Shore in that time period that I was in, I felt like there was not enough of collaboration at that time. There was, you go to Stephen Decatur, you only work with Stephen Decatur coaches. You go to Snow Hill, you only go to Snow Hill coaches. You go to Parkside, you only talk to Parkside coaches. That's just what I saw. But as, like right now, there's more connection and more collaboration. And if, I think people understand that it's okay to work together to help the kids. It's not about what school you go to or what have you. People collaborating and connecting, it builds you up. Because where I'm weak, somebody else is strong, right? So that way I can help each one of these kids get to the next level. That's my main goal, my main concern. No egos at all. What were your coaching specialties, especially doing the Pop Warner and then moving up to Decatur? My specialties? I don't know if I had any specialties. What I did was I would take something, I would see what kids we had first. I had to see what our kids were. And then I saw what they needed to work on so that way we could get them to the next level. I know sometimes coaches are, I have a system. This is the way I do it. And you need to do it the way that I've always done it. But for me, I was like, okay, what kind of kids do we have? What are their strengths? And let me build around what they have. So I don't think I had any specialties. I just kind of learned the kids as we went along, and I tried to adapt to whatever we had. On the high school and the Pop Warner level, I assume that 
you were assigned different groups. What groups did you coach? Did you coach both offense and defense? For coaching in the Pop Warner level, I coached everything. <laughs> you had to because you only had so many coaches. In high school, I got a great opportunity with Coach Knox. He, he really saw my work ethic, my drive. So when I got to Decatur, the first thing that I did was I did all the video editing. I did all the video stuff, all the recording. I would go to other games. I would do the scouting and I would make tapes and I did all of that stuff. Then also helped out on offense and defense in certain positions, like wide receiver at first and defensive back, because that's just where I played. It wasn't necessarily where my best coaching strengths were, but it was where I played. And sometimes people will do that. They'll look at, okay, this guy played this position, so maybe he should coach this position. But coaching and playing are two different things, right? So it's, it's all about teaching. But I started with wide receiver and defensive back. Then as I grew, I got an opportunity to help the JV a whole lot, and I did a lot with them as well. And I ended up coaching running backs. got to be the offensive coordinator. Defense, I still stayed with the DBs. But, man, for me, it was all about fundamentals. You know, it wasn't really about X's and O's. Everything was about fundamentals and teaching the basics all the way at the very beginning. And when you teach those basics, it doesn't really matter what plays you run if they can execute. So that's what, going back to your first question, what my strengths were, was probably focusing on fundamentals. When it came to game planning, what did you do, I guess, strategically to get your team prepared? How much did you tailor your game plan to each personal team? As far as coaching goes, I didn't have a lot of say when I was at high school level on that part. But at the Pop Warner part, it was it was hard also because you didn't have scouting. Like I said, I didn't have a lot of say, but I did watch a lot of film. I watched a lot of film, not just the week before, but I would watch weeks before. And if there are certain players on a team who were um, had some recognition or notoriety, then I would follow those guys as well. So it was a lot of just studying film and studying tape, basically, and matching kids up to have the best opportunities uh, come game day. That was mostly the coaches' jobs. The players weren't really too much involved in that. You know, I would love to see more of that now. I think in, we're in an age now where the players can consume a lot more information. Um, it's just hard to execute all of that when you have only two hours a day of practice. So you got to get it in when you can. So the coaches kind of took more, absorbed more of that time in preparing. And then they just told the kids what to do, basically. You know, I always thought that when it came to the stereotype of football players, everybody always saw the football players as dumb jocks. I don't yeah. think that's always true because that's a lot of stuff that you have to understand, the concepts, the different schemes and things like that, that you just had to, and there are variations of them too. So you're mm -hmm. learning one play and then you're maybe learning four or five variations of that play. And that's mm -hmm. a lot of stuff. And I don't think that you can lack the ability to retain this information to execute those plays, especially when called on. Right, exactly. And now that I'm in my business, Recruit University, I've been networking with guys all across the country, all, all kinds of football players. One player in particular, you know, I live in Houston, Texas now, uh, Arian Foster, he used to play for the Houston Texans. I was at dinner with him and he was saying how you should learn everything, right? So he was a running back. And what he did was he made sure he learned everything, the entire offense. He didn't want to know just what the running backs were supposed to do. And I agree with this. He wanted to know what the quarterbacks had to do. He wanted to know what the offensive line had to do, what the receivers had to do. And he felt like that made his job a lot easier if you understand everything, where everybody's supposed to be, that would make it a lot easier for you. Whereas we were taught that you're a running back, you just go to the running back room, focus on what the running back's supposed to do. But when you see the big picture, everybody fits in better and it works a lot more smoothly. And that's why some players like Arian Foster had the success that they had where others probably hadn't because he was a student of the game. He understood the whole offense, the entire scheme, just as much as a quarterback, you know, needed to know everything. Some of these other players need to know everything as well, because you're trying to make 11 men move and execute certain plays. So I really believe you need to study, man, and, and teach the game, learn the game. There's a lot to it. I always saw it as like in high school wrestling. It's like you learn a move, but you also have to learn the counter to it just in case you get mm. put in that position where you're trying to escape it. And knowing everything that's around you and the roles that everybody else are supposed to do, that can also help in a situation where maybe a play breaks and then you have to improvise in that situation and you have to mm -hmm. do the best you can knowing, okay, here's what I can do just in case the blitz comes too quickly and, and there's not enough time to set up a block. Mm-hmm where you need to know if you're the check down receiver. Because sometimes in high school, I've seen a lot of this, the play is designed for one particular player and the other player over here is really not going to give 100%. And this is just what happens. But when you're prepared and you kind of know the game, you know, okay, if I go here, 
there's an opportunity if the play breaks down, then I may get an opportunity to catch the ball and I, I'm ready to go. How long did you coach at Stephen Decatur? Four or five years. And then I also coached Pop Warner for about five years. And then I moved to Texas. And and what led to that move to Texas? I know going to, to the Houston area is a long cry from the uh, Berlin, Ocean City area. Um, it was just a uh, personal decision and, and you know changing the career, family life situation. So I jumped out here and tried to do something different. Was there a culture shock, especially just going from small town Berlin to big oh, yeah. city Houston? Big sign culture shock. And, and it's crazy to me sometimes. I try to explain to people, you know, what I see here. So that way, and I'm not doing it to brag or boast about what Houston has and what the Eastern Shore doesn't. What I try to explain to people is what we could become because I see what they're doing over here. You know, people make excuses all the time. Oh, they have this. They have that. Their kids are this. Kids are kids, right? They're all 16, 17, 18 years old, right? They're the same. There's no excuse. They they live in a different city. I don't care. There's a lot here that we could be doing back at home. And home is really where my heart is and where it's always going to be. But I want to take what there I see working over here and I want to take it back there. And there's great coaches out there that are doing a lot of things. Coach Coleman is doing a lot of great things with Stephen Decatur. Brendan Riley has always been doing a lot of great things with Parkside. And I'm not still connected with coaches over there because I really want to help the area. But game day is a big deal. You know, everybody already knows Texas is a big deal for football. But what we didn't have a lot of when I was there at Decatur we didn't have a lot of fan support, I don't I don't think. A lot of fans didn't really come out to the football games. We had a decent amount of fans come to the basketball games if we were winning. But And I think that's the, the case at home that, that should change is there should be that support. It shouldn't matter if a kid is a D1 level player and, and they say, oh, I want to go see that kid. Over here, they're supporting those teams, whether they're winning or whether they're losing. It's very competitive and people come out and support and they really care about the kids in the community. So I think that we could do a better job of supporting these kids and come to the games and not just uh, come when they're winning. <laughs> I was about to say, especially when it comes to Decatur, and I know the basketball games are always packed, especially, like you said, when the success is going very strong. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it is a surprise that unless you start maybe going a little further up in the Bayside North, you start seeing that rabbit fan base that's there for those games with Ken Island and Queen Anne's mm-hmm. and Easton and things like that and Cambridge. And, it is a shocking contrast. Mm-hmm. It is. And it does help. Like when you have a good fan base that understands the game, they're coming out and supporting, they're cheering. It does help. You know, there's something about having that adrenaline and having that support that helps the players play better. I truly believe that the band, you know, having a, a band out there that actually can play some good songs and good music, people actually have care, right? So that's one thing that's different here. They actually care and they put a lot of effort into this program. Like the band is in full uniform. At all the games, they have a full 30-minute halftime show. Both bands come out and play a song, doing their full routine, not just in the shorts and a T-shirt. They don't do it like that. They put forth a full effort to give their best every week. And sometimes you don't see that all the time at home. But listen, I want to say this. I'm not saying this to say, like, put the, put down my hometown. Like I said, I know they can do better. I know they can be better if people actually put forth um, their heart and execute into it. But I, I know... You know, people are probably going to give me a hard time like they always do every time I say something. But I just want us to do better. I know we can do better. And like I said, I see it here. And it doesn't matter if it's Houston, New York, Georgia or wherever. You can do the same thing. And I wanted to use maybe one comparison I saw. I know when UMES at one point had their club football team. Mm-hmm. When there were Saturdays in there, they had the pep band, they had the cheerleaders, the crowds were pretty decent size, and a normally a quiet campus on a Saturday, when you have those games, even if it's not FCS or MEAC football, you know what, people were there and people were excited, and mm-hmm. really, when they see that everybody else around there is, is in full gear and, and it locks up, it can be something that is a thing of beauty, especially, you know, going to UMES for four years and seeing none of that and hearing people talk about the heyday of football at a place like UMES where it was like a big deal. And yeah. I know that it may take a little bit to translate down to the high school level on Eastern Shore, but I feel like I remember the times when Snow Hill, back when I was in high school, when they were making the playoffs all the time. Mm-hmm. They were they were crowded. They were packed on Friday nights. It was a social event. And mm-hmm. it is – I haven't been back to a Sun Hill game in a long time, especially since I moved up to Delaware. But, yeah, I, I can feel like once it becomes like a social event again, you're going to see those crowds there. And I know success is a big thing that hinges on that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it shouldn't be for that level. You know, for the high school level, it shouldn't be about that. 
But I mean, unfortunately, it is um, just in that demographic. I mean, like it's not like that everywhere. But Friday nights, man, that should be, you know, get out there. Watch it. There's nothing better than uh, Friday night football, high school football. There's nothing better than that. Just get out there, see, you know, where you went to school, your alma mater, and see the new players coming up, the next generation, and support them. You know, these kids are lacking support. And it's not just about the games and wins and losses. It's about these kids need to know that somebody is there for them and going to have their back, you know, and that's what we need. I know one of the things that sort of has been an issue, especially it seems like even though this is like so long ago, it feels like and, you know, I feel like in the news cycle, everything's so long ago. But I know at one point the concerns about concussions and things like that were a big thing. And people you had people like Kurt Warner saying, I wouldn't even let my sons play. And this is a man who's in the Hall of Fame who played quarterback and and knows what it's like in the game. I mean, do you feel like also the concerns about concussions also maybe have impacted, I guess, people coming out and playing as well? Oh, definitely. I know there's some athletes out there, at least their parents, they are afraid to let their kids play football because of the CTE and stuff like that. And it's a real concern. But I know they're doing a great job with technology and a lot of these helmet companies are coming up with newer helmets every year and newer systems that are really great to help prevent concussions from happening. And they've been doing that for years, but it's just coming to light since it's more of a a mainstream media concern now. Um, But they've been working on that for years as far as concussions and trying to get it out of the game. I know, especially the USA Football Initiative, talking about how to teach the proper fundamentals as as you're big on fundamentals mm-hmm. and proper tackling and things like that. And I know that we all live in a video game society. Everybody sees Madden the hit stick, and everybody has watched guys like Palomalu, Ed Reed, and things like that. Sean Taylor, you see uh-huh. that hit? That's the one that's going to get on ESPN. Have you seen that? Was that something a lot of players tried to emulate, especially trying to to get the highlight hit? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And, uh, you know, back in the day, we used to teach it. <laughs> but before you learn about, you know, the safety and the concussions, um, yeah, you definitely want to lay somebody out. And, they, and when you block them, like the blindside blocks, all of that stuff, you know, you get pumped up when you see somebody get laid out. You know, you want to, oh, they get a helmet sticker. You get rewarded for that. So, yeah, it was exciting. But now, you know, safety is uh, definitely at the forefront. So you want to teach the proper way. At the end of the day, you want to get your guy down on the ground. We still cheer big hits, but you just want to make sure they're safe and make sure the player, other players are okay. But I, we still like big hits. Though. Going on to Recruit University and, and you becoming an author and, and writing books, what led to the conception of Recruit University and what was that process like building it up? And did it start so- while you were in Berlin? Yeah, it did. Actually, it did. Um, It wasn't Recruit University when I started in Berlin. So it started with me helping our kids get recruited. You know, like I said, I went to when I wanted to coach, when I became a coach, one of my main things I wanted to do was help our kids get to college in our area, in the Berlin, not just Berlin, but the Eastern Shore community, help kids get to college. Because I as a scout, when I was scouting, I would go to get other teams games and I'm recording their games and watching their players. And I saw a lot of talented players that weren't getting no offers and they end up not going anywhere. And then when they didn't go to college, they made poor choices and ended up, you know, doing some stupid things and just did nothing after that. And it was a lot of talented kids who could have done something. Um, There was no doors really opening. And like I said, this is not to disrespect anybody else. Any other coaches who may have helped out in in a way, I don't want to sound like I am putting people down. I'm just saying that I did not see our kids get to the next level. I didn't see the doors being open. So I wanted to do something about it. And at first I thought, okay, maybe if our players were better. So I wanted to teach the game a little better, teach them more, teach them more fundamentals. So that's why I was doing the coaches clinics and whatnot. Then um, I had the pleasure to go to a coaches clinic at DeMatha High School. You know, DeMatha was one of the premier programs in all of the country. And the head coach there, he just said, any questions you have, just ask me anytime. So I took him up on it. So I knew that he had kids that go D1. He had kids that go to the NFL, things like that. And I was like, man, I want that for our community. I want our guys to be able to do that as well. So he told me what to do, and I started doing it. And it started, at first, you know, I've had some rough patches with it at first, but I started with practice and trial and error. I um, started executing it. And I was getting kids looks from all over, whether they were deserving or not. Eventually, they got the looks that they deserved, and they got to play at a level that they we're supposed to play on. And once I got my first uh, couple of kids uh, D1 offers, then people started knocking on the door and started asking me for help. And, you know, it's continued since then. So that was 
the, the birth of it right there. I started helping kids. Once I moved to Texas, I wasn't coaching. I'm working at a school for autistic children, but I still had an itch for football and an itch for coaching. So I was still going to games on Friday nights, but I still wanted to have a hands-on experience. So a couple of parents from uh, Decatur actually reached out to me for help because they knew I helped another kid. And once I helped those guys, I say, okay, maybe we could start this into a, a business. Maybe I could start helping more people. And I did that. I started sharing their film and doing things on the internet, YouTube, Facebook, what have you. And people started contacting me from all over, not just the United States, from all over the world for football. I mean, kids from Germany play football. There's kids with France that reached out about playing football. Canada, I get reached out from Canada um, a few times, but all over, man, they, they reached out for help because they all want the same thing. They have the same dream. Have you noticed, I know you're talking about especially Eastern Shore, it seems like Delaware, the kids are more in tune and those are the ones that are getting a lot more of the the D1, the D2 uh, Nas, as opposed to, as you said, the nine counties on the Eastern Shore. Is it a stark contrast between those two? It's a good question because I know Devin Still, uh, he used to play for Cincinnati Bengals and Houston for a little bit. He lives out here also. I talked to him about it, like, what did you do to help you get noticed? And he he said his coaches just sent out film. That's all. He doesn't know how he got recruited. He just knew his coaches sent out tape. So I don't know if it's just a group of people, like a society of people who who actually are doing this for these kids or what? I mean, I think it's just they probably collaborate a little more over there, I, I'm assuming. I don't really know much about Delaware football on the northern side. I know that's where they have more success. The lower shore, you, you don't see as much, but the northern side, you do. But I think that it's all about the parents, the coaches, and the student. You have those three, and they have to work together to be able to get to where they want to go, and they have to be honest with each other about um, what they're trying to do. And I, I think that um, we're getting a little bit better about that, man. Everything's becoming out into the open now with social media and everything like that, and there's more people that have hands in it. So you're able to control your own destiny now instead of depending on somebody else to come find you or depending on somebody else to send out a tape. So that's all I got on that, really. I know you mentioned parents being an essential part of the recruiting plan. What is the biggest thing that parents need to do when it comes to their child being recruited to play football on the collegiate level? Man, I, <laughs> I could write a whole book on that one. <laughs> Woo, geez. All right. So if you're a parent out there, I want you to understand, number one, this is not your coach's responsibility to help your kid get recruited. So that's always a thing. You know, people will complain. My coach didn't help me. My coach didn't help me and my coach is not doing anything. They will complain about it all the time. It's not your coach's responsibility, number one. OK, so you have to think about it from a coach's perspective, too. Like if you're playing whatever sport you're doing, you know what I mean, because this same thing works to all sports. You got to think, OK, number one, they got like 30, 40, maybe 50 kids on the team. All right. So you're expecting them to be able to help all of them. They're teachers first. And on the shore, the coaches don't get paid like they do over here. Coaches really get paid over here. And they get paid to win. <laughs> so that could be another difference with the effort part that I was talking about before with effort. They got to put in the effort because they're getting paid to win. Whereas over there, you know, you're not really getting paid very much at all. So it's just like extra little hobby. But the coaches aren't getting paid to coach. They're teachers first, right? That's where their primary salary is. Their primary job is a teacher. They may have four to eight classes, depending on what your school is like. Uh, they got a great homework. They got to do lesson plans. Then they get ready for practice. They got to put together practice plans, go out there and do practice. Then they get to go home and be with their family and do all the stuff the family's supposed to do. So they don't have the time to actually help your kids. And if they do, it's a luxury. So what the difference is I've seen in schools where they're sending a lot of kids to college, like in, a, in big loads, they have something called a recruiting coordinator. That's kind of my job, what I, what I do with Recruit University. But the school board or the athletic department pays a person to be a recruiting coordinator full time. And they're the ones who help the kids get to college. But a lot of places don't have that. You know, it's a luxury if you're able to have something like that. So the parents, you need to uh, make sure that you are taking charge and being proactive. Do not wait until um, they're in 12th grade before you start being serious about college. I've seen that too, right? Once your kid enters high school, day one of their freshman year, they are considered a prospective student athlete. You need to make sure day one of their freshman year that you know exactly what they want to do, where they want to go, like which direction they want to go in. So that way you can make sure you meet all the criteria that you're supposed to meet. Like not just with athletics, you got to focus on grades too, right? The kids are student athletes and the word student comes first. So you make sure 
their GPA is where it's supposed to be. You're taking the right classes that you're supposed to take and all that stuff. So yeah, parents, it's a big role. Also, one more thing I'm going to add too. I told you I could write a whole book on this. One more thing I want to add on that is with um, decision-making. So studies have shown, and I'm talking about males right now, but this goes for all the kids. The male brain does not fully develop until age 25. So your kids should not be in a position where they're making the full decision by themselves because they're not going to make the best decision, right? Yes, it's their decision on where they want to go, but you should be a huge influence, a huge influence on that decision. Um, Not necessarily making them go to school that you want them to go to, but showing them all of their options and making them consider every single option, showing them exactly how much the tuition costs, how are you going to pay for it? All of that stuff they need to be included in. It can't be, I just want to go to whatever team won a national championship last year, because that's what a lot of kids do. They want to go to that big top 25 NCAA school, but there's like over a thousand schools out there that you can go to that most people never even heard of. There's division two, division three, there's NAIA, there's junior colleges. There's so many opportunities out there, but every kid wants to go to Alabama. Every kid wants to go to Maryland, but you got to really open the doors and open their eyes for these kids. So parents, you got a lot of work to do in this department. So come talk to your boy. Um, I'll definitely educate you a little bit. Make sure you get our book too. It's a shameless plug, Recruiting 101, a guide to being recruited for college sports. There's a ton of information that that you need to have. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of people teaching it. So that's what I'm here for. Speaking of the book, how much work went into creating the book and writing the book? And what was that process like? Actually, it was pretty easy, honestly. I didn't even want to write a book, but as part of the community that I am, it was a a group of people that have businesses, entrepreneurs. They said, hey, write a book. It's the new calling card. So I wrote a book just for credibility purposes. Um, It was pretty easy to write. So I just took some subjects that I wanted to talk about and I started writing about each one of those subjects. Just like I'm talking to you now, all of that could have been in a book. (laughs) So it was pretty easy. But the main thing for me was I wanted to make sure I could get something in people's hands that could give them some type of information on what they need to do. Because like I said, there's not a lot of people teaching you what to do. It's just expected that you're automatically supposed to know what to do. It's expected that you're supposed to, I don't know, just go to college and get a full scholarship. And there's a big myth about going to college. And we've, you probably talked about this before. People ask, should college students get or student athletes get paid in college, right? And they one of the biggest things that people say to fight against that or argue against it is, oh, they're getting a free education. All right. So let me hold you right there. You're assuming just because I play a sport that my tuition is paid and my food is paid and my room and board is paid. That's not true. If you get a scholarship to play a sport does not mean you get a full ride. OK, um, it could be five hundred dollars. And we all know that's just probably going to cover books. That's a scholarship. Right. So with the scholarship, whole thing is if you want to get a full scholarship and this is most schools, not all. What they do is when the athletic department they're allocated a certain amount of money they can give out. And then the rest of it, you got to get from the academic side or grants. They put it all together. And once they put it all together, then you can get a full package. But it's not all from the sport. Sometimes, like if you don't have the grades or your family makes too much money or what have you, then you're not going to get everything you need from that other side. So there's that. There's also what's called a preferred walk-on or walk-ons. Those kids play sports and they pay full price to to pay the sport. So don't I think those kids deserve a little bit of a break. You know, if you're doing the same exact thing that everybody else is doing, but you're, um, you know, you're limited because you're playing a sport and you don't get any money for it. That's just unfair to me. But yeah. So don't just assume just because you get a scholarship, you're going to be full scholarship and scholarships a year to year basis, too. It's based on performance <laughs> as well. Like if you don't play, you're not getting that scholarship next year. Uh, if you get injured, that scholarship's gone. That scholarship is year to year. It's not a four year full ride. So that's just a myth that oh, he plays D1, that means he's there for free. No, I mean, he's probably paying full price. I know a guy uh, who went to Texas A&M and he was a walk-on for three years. Three years, he he paid full price for three years. And then in his fourth year, his senior year, he played well enough and a scholarship became available where he was, you know, a good member of the team where he actually contributed a good amount and they wanted to make sure he was taken care of. His senior year, in the middle of his senior year, he got his scholarship. So, don't assume that um, just because you get a scholarship that four years is all paid for. 
Yeah, and I can think of so many stories. I even think of Alex Ellis from Delmar, the former quarterback who went to Tennessee. It was his senior mm-hmm. year, and he got a scholarship and things like that. And then I remember uh, a previous guest I had on this podcast, Carmen Frazier. She was going to one school for a scholarship, and then coaches changed. The coach philosophy changed, uh, and all of a sudden, they didn't have mm-hmm. any money for her. And then, you know, they tried to take away her scholarship and, 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 you know, going through all the paperwork and all that stuff. She kept great records and things like that to make sure she got her money. And then, you know, before she ended up transferring to UMES and playing there. And then I know plenty of other people who end up going on academic scholarship for a sport and still not getting a lot of money. And, of course, if you're in a sport that doesn't generate a lot of revenue, you're probably not going to get any money. I know we see that whole thing that was going on at USC with Aunt Becky's daughters uh, getting those crew scholarships, even though... They didn't do a single thing. I mean, some schools can actually afford to pay for other sports because they generate a ton of revenue. That might change now as a result of COVID-19 because a lot of schools are starting to cut some of their athletic programs because they can't afford it. But in that situation, not every sport is a cash cow and not every student is really getting any money. And and a lot of those things are hinging on the success of a program and how much money. And I remember... About maybe five, ten years ago, there was a study that talked about all of all the Division One schools and of the FBS schools. There was a small few that were actually making money that were in the black. A lot of them were in the red. Yep. And one thing that you mentioned, too, was if a coach changed, that happened to me. Where I had a player all set. He was set to go to Howard. He had a scholarship offer from the previous regime, and he was ready to go there. That's, he wanted to go. We had everything taken care of. But the coach got fired. And when a coach gets fired in college football – not just the coach goes, not just the head coach, the entire staff goes. So when a new staff comes in, nobody knows about the scholarship that he was offered before. And I was like, what's going on? Like he was offered, blah, blah. Well, that was somebody else offered. We didn't offer it to him. So yeah, it's crazy, man. Yeah, it definitely is. And going back to the book process, how long did it take you to, from start to finish to to write everything and then get whatever revision you needed to get done? Um, I could have got it done a lot quicker than I did. It took about a year total. But the writing part was maybe a few weeks, the writing part. But there was editing, the graphic design, all of that that went into it as well. But, you know, it really didn't take very long to write a book. It's not very hard. Before writing a book, you know, never had written one. It was kind of scary at first. But once I did it, it was not really that hard. So I think anybody can do one. You just got to do it. You know, just put your mind to it and just do it. Now, does Recruit University focus primarily on football or is it other sports as well? Or Yes, we do all sports. Um, the process is the same for every single sport that's out there. So my passion and my history, um, my background is all in football, but we also help basketball, a couple of basketball clients as well. Uh, we talk to baseball, softball, everything, man. If there's a sport in college for it, you know, we can help you get there. When you hear a lot of uh, parents or even a lot of kids talk about their ideal location other than it being, you know, a powerhouse like Alabama or, or a big school in the state like Maryland, for example, or Texas. Mm-hmm. And in that case, what are the biggest things that they look at when it comes to selecting an institution they want to go to play sports at? For the student or for the parents? I say a little bit of both. Okay. Cause it's different, right? Mm-hmm. For the student. And, and you know, this is difficult. Like I said, they're still young, they're kids. They care about what what's the most popular. What will everybody think of me when I go to this school? That's what they care about. Was like the popularity part of it, the social aspect. Like if I go to this school, do they think I'm cool? If I go to this school, what color jerseys I'm wearing? What kind of uniforms? Stuff like that. That's the kind of stuff that a lot of these kids are thinking about. They're not really thinking about their education and um, all of that. They're just thinking about what is my followers on Facebook think. Um, as far as parents. What they're thinking about is this. How much is this going to cost me? And, and rightfully so. They need to. And a lot of people don't know this. In state, if you stay in state, you pay significantly less money tuition wise. If you go out of state, you got to pay a little bit more. And even with recruiting, there's some colleges that don't recruit kids from out of, out of state because they don't have those big budgets. Right. So that's what another thing I'm going to get into <laughs> is that every school is different. Right. I know there's like the big top 25 schools that do things a certain way, but there's so many other schools who don't make as much money as those big schools. They have to do things differently. They have to work within their budget. Right. And sometimes their budget won't allow them to recruit a kid from another state 
and they got to do all in-state kids because they got to pay that money from somewhere. So the athletic department only has a certain amount they can spend. So they have to pay the tuition for out-of-state kids. It's probably like ten dollars to $15,000 more. So they said, no out-of-state kids. Let's just recruit in-state kids. And, and that happens too. So yeah, money is a big, a big deal. It's a big business, man. Oh yeah, now I can understand that. I always think about how they build up Miami. How at one point they just it's a private school and and a lot of people don't think about that. How mm-hmm. they just focused on basically the state of South Florida and they just got all their talent from South Florida. And mm-hmm. you know, before all of a sudden then you get the guys like Bernie Kosar and and Jim Kelly and all those guys, the Michael Irvins and and everybody else like that. They're from Florida. They're from South mm-hmm. Florida, namely. And sometimes you just have to do what you can and with whatever limited resources that you may have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know that another thing is, especially I, I go back to some of the kids that I've interviewed who made their decisions and a lot of people. And I feel like it's mainly the girls who are being recruited, who went to particular schools. A lot of okay. them look at the majors. A lot of them look at being wanted. I think it's a case where if you feel like that the coaching staff has really shown an interest in you and this is beyond sure. the genders, it's, if they feel like you're wanted. Mm-hmm. that's definitely a big sign and a big reason that you may flourish there and you drive there. I know sometimes the major may depend as well. I know mm-hmm. there's so many different things because, you know, you hear some people say, well, I want to go into maybe pre-med or this or that. This might be a good start. And I mm-hmm. feel like it's a combination of that. Yeah, definitely. That's definitely something when the kids are serious about it, right? So if you're serious about it, then definitely uh, you want to know what, if the school has whatever you desire to be, like your major. You said something interesting is the interest level. So I've also seen this a lot too, is coaches express interest, but the interest is not returned from the players because they had never heard of that school before. You know, they want to focus on the schools that they heard of and see on TV. A lot of these guys do. Not all of them, but a lot of them do. But I tell them all the time, it's just like dating. If somebody's showing interest in you, you got to show the interest back. You got to show, show it back for it to make it work. If you don't show any interest back, they're going to assume that you're just not interested in them and they're going to stop reaching out and they're going to stop following you. And you don't want that. So we try to keep every door open and I tell them, make sure you at least respond, show some type of interest, go for a visit, whether you want to go to the school or not, let's go look at it. Right. So that way you can keep the doors open. I really encourage them by doing that and having more interest from more schools and another school finds out that that school's interested in you and they're in the same conference. They're going to be like, Oh, well, let me take a look at them too. So you can't just like turn your nose away at other schools because you've never heard of them because at the end of the day, it's about who's heard of you. Uh, I have a little exercise that I do with all my clients that come in. We do like a lifestyle assessment and I want to make sure that they get into the right field, right? So a lot of times the kids will I'll ask them, what do you want to do? And they don't know. They have no idea what they want to do. And it's okay to not know, but um, I try to get them to go out and intern at places while they're in high school to see if they may want to do it because that investment that for, not only the money, but the time you're not going to get back. You want to put four years into something and then decide, I don't like this. It's not for me. And then have to start over again. We don't want that. We want you to be able to make the best decision possible. So we look at also too, like the cost of living, like what kind of lifestyle do you want? Like what kind of house do you want? Like, what do you want? So you got to tell me what you want. And then we're going to show you um, the careers that can help you get to where you want. And then you can pick one or two of them and go down that road. Because when you get finished with college, the next thing they talk about is retirement. But, you know, you got to live a little bit in between that point. Right. So really, you know, your lifestyle kind of gets put to the back a little bit because you're not focusing on um, right now. And you, and you deserve to be able to live in the lifestyle that you want to live and not just thinking about, oh, I got to put this money away so I can retire when I'm 65. If, if you're lucky enough to make it to that, that far. Have you ever had some kids that maybe prefer to be the big fish in a small pond type thing as opposed to going and lining up and being in a school where, okay, the focus won't be on you or the the priority won't be as much you. It's just, I want to be the star here. Never had that. Not, not any of the guys that I've, that I've worked with. I've never had that. Sometimes you, you got to let them know that you should stay here because you are the star. So I've had that a couple of times. I've had kids transfer schools because they want to be on ESPN or get some different jerseys and the coolness of it. Right. So um, this happened in multiple locations, not just one place. OK, I don't want anybody to think I'm calling them out, but this happened in multiple places. Sometimes it's best to be the big fish in a small pond, because at the end of the day, you can put a, together a better highlight tape and show off to these coaches what, what I can do. So if you have that opportunity, 
you know, I would definitely take advantage of that. And I wouldn't say, oh, there's no competition. There's no comp- you need to go where there's competition. That's a big myth, too. You don't need to leave your school to go to a different school because it's more competitive, especially in today's age. Yeah, especially I feel like as it translates to the professional level, how you see in the NBA, how everybody's joining together, just they want to play with their best friend or they see an easier path to maybe, you know, like you said, highlights, maybe win a championship as well. Mm-hmm. And and there's plenty of swords of that. And I, I won't name anybody. I've seen it mm-hmm. as a sports reporter. There's plenty mm-hmm. of people who go to some schools and seeing the path to maybe being on highlights and being recruiting and possibly winning a championship that gets in their eyes and then it can happen. I mean, it's too numerous to count. Believe me. Right. For me, I tell the kids, don't take your eyes off the goal. The goal is to get to college. That's the goal. To go play at college, get a scholarship. So all the other stuff that you're doing does not matter. Right. And um, what's happening is, and this is from several coaches I've talked to, I've said the same thing is what's happening is when they're getting together for AAU ball or summer travel baseball or seven on seven leagues, they're building this camaraderie with these other players and they're kind of recruiting each other to leave your school and come play with me at my school. We could do this. We could do that. And that's happening. That's really happening. And you see, that's why a lot of kids are transferring all the time because they want to play with their kid from AAU or their kid from summer baseball or, or what have you. Yeah, but it feels like it's always a cautionary tale of those who may decide, okay, I'm going to do this because I feel like I've been wooed well enough. And then all of a sudden you mm-hmm. notice it is just a wooing and it feels like a bit of disillusionment once you get there. I mean, what do you say in those situations where, okay, we did all the vetting, we did all this stuff, or maybe they didn't do all the vetting and they just saw what they wanted to see. And then like, this is not the right fit for me. If it's in high school, if you're playing, that's all you need to do is play. If you don't get the opportunity to play, then that's another conversation. But if you're playing, just go play. Get on tape, get your highlights out there, and, and that's all you need to do. That's it. Now, the Recruit University website, on there, what are some things that people can do when it comes to uh, getting information? What does the website provide? What's some of the information the website provides? So on the website, there's an overview there that they can get to explain what we do. But it's an exclusive program. So everybody is not going to be able to get in Recruit University. I only take kids that are serious. So you got to be serious. You got to have a decent GPA that we can work with. You got to show that you're putting forth some kind of effort. And of course, there's a talent aspect of it as well. We look at your talent too. So we want to look at your highlights. So as soon as you come to the page, recruituniversity.org, you can come there. You can fill out an evaluation form. We'll assess that. And then we can tell you what we'll do after that. Um, There's also the book is on that website. And we have an online course that we're teaching now. Like after the pandemic hit, I felt like more parents and other players, they need to be able to control their own destiny. They need to be able to do this themselves, right? So after the pandemic hit, we created an online course. So you can sign up on our online course right now. It's 50% off. Um, you can go there and sign up for the online course and what we teach you. The lifestyle assessment is on there. We teach you about filling out questionnaires and making sure colleges know who you are. We'll give you access to over a thousand schools, D1, D2, D3. NAIA JUCO, don't sleep on JUCO, and we show you how to get the contacts. People think that, oh, I have all these contacts, these special contacts. I do have contacts, but I, got, I attained them some, somehow, and I'm going to show you how I obtain these contacts. And you have to update them every single year because coaches come and go all the time. So I, I show you how to do that. Um, it's all on the online course, and that's all on the recruituniversity.org website. And this is a great opportunity to do something like that with the pandemic going on. Everybody's at home learning virtually, just home waiting for to see what's going to happen. You can get ahead of it and learn exactly what you need to do by um, signing up for that course. I will get to the impact of the pandemic in a second, but what is it on highlight reels that you feel like are the most important things for coaches to see? They just have to be um, intrigued. They have to be entertained, right? They have to be entertained. And what I want people to realize, too, is it's not just one coach. So there's not a one size fit all thing. Every coach is different for what they're looking for, what kind of gets their opinion. And also, it doesn't always go to the head coach. You know, it could go to a graduate assistant. It could be just another kid that's in college looking at your film before they pass it on to the next person. So there's a lot of steps to it. What I tell people is to make it attractive. Right. So if you go to the movies, usually. You go to the movies of something that you've maybe seen a preview of maybe five or six times and you decide, oh, I want to go see that movie. So you don't need to put your whole game film in a highlight. Just put the best stuff. Put the best stuff first. Okay, so that way I'm watching it and I say, okay, this guy looks good and I'm keep watching it. And then I'll say, all right, maybe I'll see a little bit more. If you don't do that, 
And this is where trial and error work for me is if you put like in chronological order, like this happened first, I'm gonna put the first game, then the second game, then the third game, something like that. You might not get to the good stuff and they might not ever see it. So you need to put all your good stuff first. Don't put stuff on there that makes you look bad. Also talk to uh, Tim Brown, who used to play for the Raiders. He said that um, he was not getting recruited. (laughs) He wasn't getting recruited to go to Notre Dame. He got, he went to Notre Dame because the kid he was playing against was getting recruited. And then they saw him on his tape and he made the other guy look bad and said, oh, let me let me look at this kid instead. So the goal is for you to make yourself look good. A lot of times I've seen players put stuff on their tape that does not make them look good. It shows how fast you are or maybe you try to block somebody because that's what they do. I want to show, oh, I can block or I can run real fast. And they show a play where a guy ran by them and then I chased them down. That does not make you look good because they're not supposed to get by you in the first place. So stuff like that. They're going to see how fast you are when they invite you to camp and they get to run the 40 and all the other stuff. They're going to see all of that. Just put the plays on there to make you look good. And that's it. If it's only a two minute video, that's fine. They're only going to watch the first 30 seconds anyway. Don't worry about showing everything. Just show all the best stuff first. Going back to the pandemic and the impact. Normally, when it comes to helping in the recruiting process, what is your busiest time of year? Uh, busiest time of year is for me, because I have a big football background, is right after football season is over. Right afterwards. And then all of a sudden, my inbox is flooded. And that's a problem, you know, because I want to help you before the season starts. That's when we should be able to help you is before the season. So that way we can send that film out as we go along and start getting the coaches to watch you, start getting you invited to camps and games and stuff like that. But after the season's over, season's over for everybody. So they've already looked at the guys they want. So you got to be proactive guys for, for sure. With this pandemic, how do you feel like this will impact this this class of students, especially some of them not having a high school season or having it a very delayed season? Mm-hmm. Um, with the upcoming class, the 2021 class, mm-hmm. they're going to go based on what you did before. Mm-hmm. So that's really hard, really, really difficult because it used to be between the junior and senior year was the most important time. But this past summer would have been your most important time, but camps got canceled. All the recruiting events got canceled. So, and then he also wanted to see you improve from junior year to senior year. That was a big deal. Like I I saw you junior year and let me see what you look like now to see if you continue to put forth effort. So if you don't get an opportunity to play, um, they're going to go based on what you did before. So it's going to be, it's real tricky. Uh, Right now it's a a waiting game to see what's really going to happen because you still have the kids who are redshirting because um, they didn't get to play their senior year in college. So they're going to still be there. So it's going to be real interesting. Um, I'm really looking forward to see what's going to happen because a lot of times decisions are made because you want to look at the roster and say, okay, they got three quarterbacks right now. This one's going to graduate. But now if they're redshirting and you're supposed to go, then, I mean, are you going to have an opportunity to play now? So it's tough, man. I hope that things get back to normal soon. But I don't know, man. It's, It's really tough because you still have people there. So you really can't bring any more people in if you still got people there. It's just really crazy. But I can tell you they haven't stopped recruiting. They're still recruiting for 2021. They're still recruiting for 2022 um, as if things are going to be normal. So just keep doing what you're doing and don't worry about all the other stuff. Is it easier to promote someone who's really been a dynamic player since their freshman year of high school? Or is it maybe a late bloomer who all of a sudden who gets physically bigger, who all of a sudden puts it together between junior and senior year? I think every case is different. I don't think there's any easier or harder. Um, we've helped both, you know, and I guess depending on the kid, it's good to start early for some. And then some of them, if they are physically gifted or maybe talented enough where they've played a lot of years on the uh, varsity level, then it's a little bit easier for them. But kids who need time to develop, that's probably a little bit more difficult. But there's still things you can do to get noticed and just get your name out there. Not necessarily film, but just get on campus and let the coaches know who you are. There's a lot that you can still do. What are some ways people will be able to reach out to you and connect with you once this interview comes out? What are the best ways people can then catch up with you on social media and, and things like that? Yeah, definitely follow us um, on Facebook, Recruit University. Also on Twitter at Coach underscore Cortez. Just spell like my name, Coach underscore K-U-A-R-T-E-Z. And we're also on Instagram. Um, that's Recruit University. So. We try to do something for each demographic there because, you know, we got the parents on Facebook. We got the kids on Instagram and coaches are on Twitter. So we're we're on all of that. 
Also YouTube, um, check us out our YouTube channel out. Sometimes there's some good information on there that we'd like to share. Uh, I did an interview with uh, Dave Lamonico. He used to be a reporter with for the Maryland Turks. So that was a great interview we did there. Interviews on eating healthy, eating right, and even stuff as far as your credit score and how to manage your credit score coming out of college or coming out of high school and going into college. So there's a lot of good stuff out there. You just got to know where to look. Actually, that's interesting that you talked about the credit score. And I know everybody goes from different philosophies. I know a lot of people, uh, I know what's been big lately is like the Dave Ramsey thing where it's like, okay, if you have enough money, you don't have to worry about your credit score. But then and there's some people of the old school theory. I know I'm a big believer in this is you only have two things to you. It's your name and your credit. And when they're both shot, nobody's going to give you the benefit of the doubt either way. And uh-huh. that's sort of one of those two, I guess, schools of thought that are sort of battling each other right now. Because I know some people think, okay, if I got the money, I can cash flow it. I don't have to worry about the credit. Yep. Yep. So we put, we get experts, man, come in and talk about different topics. And we'll try to share that information with the kids. Like we were doing a Zoom call every week with kids and we have a guest speaker come on and talk to them. So that's kind of the, some of the stuff that we like to do. Um, lawyer Malloy, he used to play with the Patriots. He actually told me, make sure you mentor these kids. Cause when I was starting the business, I was asking people, what do I need to do? What, how would you suggest? And he said, uh, mentoring, a lot of these kids don't have fathers. So you need to be a mentor to them, not just sending them to school and unprepared. So that's why we are doing what we're doing. What would you say is the biggest piece of advice that you got when it came to doing the recruit university? I think that part, the mentoring part was huge because actually him, DJ McCarthy, he used to coach at LSU. Both of those guys said the same thing, the mentoring part, teaching. And then if I watched Last Chance U, I don't know if you got a chance to watch Last Chance U. Um, it's about junior college football. This season in particularly, it really shows that the player side, not just the coach's side. And these kids need people to teach them and train them up and mentor them and guide them in the right direction. So you definitely need to be mentored. You don't know everything. Everybody's dealing with a bunch of different things. So the psychology of being that role model and helping kids get to the next level and be successful at the next level is huge. It's very huge. And we got to pay more attention to that. It's not a do as I say type thing anymore. As far as coaching goes, you just do what I tell you to do. No, you got to be transparent and tell kids why they're doing these things. Um, And you got to get to know them too. They're not just X's and O's, they're players. So that really helped me. I got to know my clients and I'll help them all in different ways and stuff that they're going through and help them deal with it and give them resources that they need to be successful in the, at the next level. So yeah, that's to me, the mentoring part is that's my baby. That's the biggest part. My favorite part of the whole thing is to be able to connect with the kids and, uh, and guide them. Of course, as James, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I look forward to doing it again. And I know that things once the pandemic sort of lets up at a, greater rate i guess business will be continuing the boom i hope so i hope so but in the meantime like i said go ahead and get that online course you can go to recruituniversity.org shop go there so that way you can still keep the process going with the pandemic stretching into the new year and national signing day for potential college athletes officially happening february 3rd i look forward to seeing how many of james's clients have taken the next step in their athletic careers In the next episode, my guest will be Steve Wagner. We'll discuss his diehard Baltimore Orioles and Washington football team fandom, what it was like being a single dad going to college, and following his dreams and becoming a dentist and owning his own practice. Episodes of The Sports Refuge can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, and plenty of other places podcasts can be heard. Don't forget to check out The Sports Refuge website as well as The Sports Refuge's YouTube channel. Until next time, this is Earl Holland saying thanks for listening, stay safe, and have a good one. You've been listening to The Sports Refuge Podcast. For more information about our show and our guests, go to our website at thesportsrefuge.com. Follow us on Twitter at The Sports Refuge, on Instagram at Sports Refuge Sports Blog, and on Facebook at The Sports Refuge Sports Blog. Thank you for listening.